Well, we are in a new season, chapter 32. That is the language that we're giving this, uh, this chapter of our church's history. Ilson and I have the honor of being the 32nd lead pastors, and so we're calling this chapter, chapter 32. And, um, and it's brand new. I mean, this is a brand new baby. I mean, this baby needs some swaddling. We're having Natalia practice her swaddling. She is getting better. And because it's new, we are truly seeking the Lord in this season. We don't want to get ahead of him. We don't want to assume he knows what he wants. We want to take some time and hear from him and follow his direction. How many of you know and would agree that that's a better way to live? Yeah. And so we're calling this series of Talks Rerouting. And last week, Ilsian got us started. If you didn't catch that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Well, this week, we're going to camp around uh, the same few verses in Exodus, and then we're going to unpack from there. So let's go there together in Exodus 14, beginning in verse 30, uh, 21. It'll be on the screen. It reads like this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. Everyone say dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on the left. Incredible. The Egyptians, they pursued them, and and Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. It reminds me when I choose the wrong card at Costco and the jams are, how many of you have had that experience? Yes. How many of you, like, right away, you just, you just lose the cart? I'm the stubborn one that I'm going to say, no, everyone's rejected you but me. I'm going to make you work. So... I don't know why I do that, but that's what it makes me think of. Um, It says, and the Egyptians said, they realized, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is clearly fighting for them. And it's against who? It's against us, right? Think about that realization. They're like, I think think the Lord is fighting against us. Um, And then it says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it. They were going in the wrong direction, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites, they went through the sea on what? dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now, if you've grown up in church or you've even just heard about Bible stories, you are familiar with this one, right? This is one of those that I would classify as a good old Sunday school story. For those of us who grew up in Sunday school, we heard these stories. We heard them often. But I just want to encourage you, not only today, but every day, to when it comes to scripture, when it comes to God's word, when you arrive to a familiar story, that you read it with fresh eyes. 
that you don't rush to conclusions, that you don't say, hey, I've heard this story, I know how it ends, I, I have some of my own takeaways, but that you honestly ask, Lord, reveal yourself anew in this familiar story. I believe that God's word is alive, and when we come to God's word with that open heart, he always speaks to us. We do something around here called SOAP. That's an acronym. It's a Bible study method. It's not the method. It's one of many good ones. But the, uh, the SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. If you think about our talks, they are generally structured that way. We start with Scripture. I like to share my observations. We'll get into application, and then we typically pray. And so um, w- will you allow me to share my observations of this story? Is that Okay. I always wonder, what if someone's like, no? Like, what what do you do there, right? Awkward, awkward. So I'm going to share some observations to a familiar story. And the first one that we are reading a story where there are people. There are people, and there are two distinct people groups. And you know them. Uh, The first one is the Egyptians. And what do we know about the Egyptians in this particular time in history? We know that these Egyptians, they were following many gods, but they were not following the true God. We also know that their leader, who we all know as Pharaoh, he was their king, he actually was a self-proclaimed lowercase god. And so because they were following this god, this wrong god, he led them to wrong places. And so he was a stubborn leader. Think about it. We know that the the story of Exodus involves ten plagues, ten supernatural occurrences that God put on the people of Israel, things that he himself and his household experienced, and yet even after all that evidence that God was bigger than him, he would in his stubbornness chase and pursue and attempt to control and oppress these people that obviously had a God on their side? Think about the depth of stubbornness in this man. He was completely self-focused. His pursuit wasn't uh, necessarily for his nation. His pursuit was for his individual gain. He knew that the Israelites represented a very cost-effective labor force. You see, this was his livelihood, and it was running away. And he took his best army, his chariots, and they chased. And I wonder, did these men and these men and this army, did they have a choice? Or were they simply, like many, following the wrong leader? This is the people of Egypt in this time in history. We also have another group, right, a group that I think we are all uh, much more fond of in this particular instance, and that's the nation of Israel, the children of God, God's chosen people. These people actually for 430 years had only experienced one thing, and that was slavery. I mean, think about this. For their entire lifetime, the lifetime of their parents and their grandparents and their parents before them, they only knew oppression. They only knew forced labor. This was their reality. That is all that they knew. But they, because they cried out to God, 
were sent a leader. They also had a leader. And we know him as the famous Moises, Moses. Now, Moses was a leader like Pharaoh, but Moses is distinction that he never claimed to be God. As a matter of fact, he followed the God that revealed himself to him. You see the difference? Here were the Egyptians following a self-proclaimed God that led him into doom. And here was this man who submitted under a greater authority and took his orders from him that led them to what? Dry ground. And so what do we do when we have this clear protagonist, antagonist uh, people in a story? What do we do when we read something that's so black and white? These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. I think in our nature what we do is we associate with the good guys. <laughs> right? We say, yeah, totally. I am the nation of Israel in that story. I am Batman. I am Superman. I am Spider-Man. Right? I'm not Thanos. I'm not Thanos. Right? I am Iron Man, for those of you. I just gave you a whole bunch of Marvel, like, <laughs> geeks. Just like, yeah, keep it going. Come on, preach. Preach. We do that. But can I challenge us once again to actually take a step back and not pick a group, but see ourselves in both groups. Can I, for this morning, say, lean towards identifying not only the people of Israel, but be honest enough, be brave enough, courageous enough to identify with the people of Egypt. See yourself in both the fleeing nation and the pursuing oppressors. For we know that we can be like Egypt. Have you ever had moments where you wanted to control a situation? Have you ever been accused of being hard-headed or stubborn? Have you ever wanted to work, to work things to, uh, so that things would work in your favor? Right? We've all have been like Egypt. Some of you are getting way too proud. Like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> You preach to me today. Well, we can, we can identify with Egypt, and we can identify with Israel because we have all been in places where we cry out, help, God. I need your rescue, God. God, I don't see a way out. I need you to make a way. We can identify with both groups of people. The next thing I observe is this place. I see a place, and we know because Ilsian preached a great message last week that God intentionally took his people into the wilderness. This place where we find ourselves is not only the wilderness, but they are in a place where an approaching army is encroaching on them, is invading them, and they have on the other side an impenetrable body of water. They are stuck. This is the place that God has taken them in a place that modern language would describe between a rock and a hard place. How many of you have ever been there? You've been between a rock and a hard place. But not only is this place feeling like a trap, but this place has something very specific. 
and you, and, and, and you may or may not have seen it, but this place actually has a lot of water. There is water in this place, an entire sea worth of water. And it made me think, is there something to water being in this moment where God is obviously doing something grand and miraculous? So I asked the question, where else does water appear in the Bible? Well, I immediately think of another famous Sunday school story, and that's the story of Noah and the flood. How many remember that story? If you've not read it, then you can always watch it because uh, Steve Carell made a great retelling of it. So um, here's a little free advertisement for, uh, for Steve Carell, right? Now, I, w- I was going to contemplate showing a clip But two weeks of Steve Carell in a row, I mean, come on, what kind of church are we becoming, right? (laughs) Like, we got to be careful, right? So that's your homework. Um, But you remember the story. You remember that for 40 days and 40 nights, it was raining, so much rain that it became a flood, a flood capable of eliminating all life on earth. And so Noah was given this assignment to build an ark. Everyone thought he was crazy. Not only did he have to build the ark, he had to bring two animals of every kind, male and female, so that they would be rescued. But here's what I want to highlight. This water, this flood, my understanding of that story was God's judgment. See, before we get into the Noah story, it says that God, he had seen man and the evil that man had become, the wickedness, and he needed to restart. He needed to deal with man's wickedness. And so the water represented that cleansing, that dealing with man's Sin with evil. That's what water represented. But water also, if we think about it, water also had another purpose. Because out of this ark came, I believe it was eight family members. A new people emerged. And they emerged into dry ground. And so you see, I have this picture that water not only cleanses, but also gives life to something new. And so this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this process that God is using this symbolism of water as something that we go through that represents not only judgment, but coming out alive. And when we come out alive, it means that God has been merciful. He has been compassionate God has saved. And so consider this. The same waters that God used to save the people, he used to end Pharaoh's army. This water, it really did represent a dual purpose. So we see in this story this. Something ended. Something started. Does that remind you of anything? Yes, we just witnessed it. (laughs) Baptism. And so what I see is that in God's big story, what he's doing is he's baptizing humanity. He is ending something that doesn't help us 
sin, and he's taking us through the waters, and he's giving us new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the flood, the splitting of the Red Sea, it all symbolizes how God is responding to our brokenness. Again, to be made new, something has to be put to rest. This is the process which I'm referring to as renewal. And this is the purpose. This is why God takes us into wilderness places. This is why he puts us in places where we are in desperate need of him. This is why he reroutes us because his goal is to renew us. His goal is to make us new. And so we believe as a staff, as a community, that God is leading us into a new season. And because it is a new season, here's what has to happen. Some things need to end. For new things to emerge. So that's what God does. He routes you and I so that we would be made new. And so this is what we believe God is doing in chapter 32. And sometimes that's not a fun process. Sometimes rerouting to renew means we got to spend some time in the wilderness Sometimes it feels like danger. Sometimes we don't want to go. We don't want to face. We don't want to have to have these experiences. But in order for us to experience this new he has for us, we must follow him into these hard spaces. We must be rerouted. You know, the invitation to follow Jesus, it requires this recognition That our old self, our prideful self, the parts of us that look like Pharaoh, those need to die. In order for a new self to live. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so what do we, what do, we do with this? Um, I want us to actually pretend like we're in Bible study. So I, had, I have the pleasure of gathering with men. Uh, right now for the summer we're paused, but we typically meet every other Thursday. We soap, and our process always looks the same. Scripture, observation, application. And so if we were having a Bible study, we would all then just take our journals, we would take something to write on, and we would contemplate based on what we've read Based on our understanding, what is God saying to us? And so I'm going to invite you to kind of do this little quick application process. And so if you don't have anything to write with, we have some paper that are in the pouches. I, I want to encourage you, grab a sheet of paper, grab your phone. But don't, don't grab your phone and, like, start looking up your Instagram and stuff. Like, come on. All right? And just, just um, take a moment and reflect with me on two categories. I believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to you right now. You don't have to be at a coffee shop. I believe that he could speak to you right now. So two personal applications that, by the way, I always would tell my students this, I'm not going to make you read it out loud. So don't worry about that. No one's going to read out loud your personal application. It's for you and the Lord, maybe your wife, maybe your kids on the way home. You can share. You can decide that. So the first category of questions is under the waves, under the waves. So I would write this down, under the waves. And the question is simple. As we go into chapter 32... 
Um, and that's the language that we as Evergreeners are given into this season. By the way, if you are new here or you're an onlooker, meaning you're not necessarily committed here, um, don't let that language get in the way of this time. That language can simply mean to you the rest of 2022. Uh, the, uh, you might be looking ahead at 2023. Maybe you're in a new season for a job. Maybe you are a new parent. Maybe you have a new relationship. Whatever is new for you, I want you to apply this. What needs to stay buried beneath under the waves? As you go into this new season, Evergreen, chapter 32, what needs to end? I think about ideologies, things that we've learned from Pharaoh versus Egypt, uh, things that we've inherited from culture that look more flesh than spirit, more Caesar than Jesus. Things that need to stay beneath the waves could be traditions or just flat-out preferences that are beginning to look like Pharaoh's chariots where the wheels are jammed, meaning they're just no longer efficient. Like these, these traditions that I have that I'm trying to hold on to, these preferences that I have, they're starting to feel clumsy in this new season. Does that make sense? Things that are slowing you down in your relationship with the Lord and you loving your husband and you loving your wives, and you parenting things that are starting to feel inefficient, those need to stay underneath the waves. The last question is what parts of your life are you willing to admit are just plain stubbornness that God has shown you time and time again there's another way, the way of vulnerability the way of accountability, the way of setting boundaries, but yet you say, you know what, I'm going to white-knuckle this. And you're starting to look like Pharaoh. And you're rushing into a sea that's just going to close up on you anyways. So what parts of you, and only you, between you and the Lord, know that are things that need to stay underneath the waves? As you're processing that, I think it's always important to be vulnerable. So I'll go, right? If I, after application in our men's group, someone, a few of us share. So I'll go. Um, so a few things that I'm learning in this season. Um, in the past, I have been accused of being a show-off. I've been accused of doing things for attention. And so um, the way that would look like for me as a high school student is during the, the warm-up, during the layup lines, like I couldn't just do a normal layup. Like, I had to go between the legs. I had to do three. I was doing way too much <laughs> during the warm-up, right? I was seeking attention. And as I've grown and I've understood myself, I know that that is so connected to my father wound. My father didn't show up to the sidelines. He didn't say good job. He never affirmed me in that. I shouldn't say never. I didn't get enough. I didn't get enough. He was a great father. But I know that I have this father wound. And so people liking me is important. I want to, to, to be known that, 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 that people are, uh, are yeah, are, are, are liking me. Well, I know that in this season, that, that just feels like, like Pharaoh's chariot. So inefficient. 
Because I'm learning that as a leader of people that I'm going to make choices where half the room is going to be disappointed. And so if I'm going to lead authentically, if I'm going to truly do the things that God is asking me to, i got to put man's opinion of me way down the list. And i got to learn that in chapter 32, it's about pleasing God. And I hope that in pleasing God, some other people are pleased because they're also trying to please God. Amen? And so that, that's me. Uh, what for you needs to stay under the waves? And the second piece of this is out from dry ground. What needs to come out from dry ground? What in your life needs life? Where do you need God to move, to make a way, to provide, to heal, to restore? Where do you need rescue? Or God, I need my marriage to be rescued. I need my mental health to be rescued. When it comes to my relationships, to my finances, I need them to feel like you are making a way and I'm able to move from dry ground. What parts of your life need God's hand? As we come to a close, we've reflected on a story of people, but there's a person that's not mentioned in the story that the story points to. So I want to talk about that person. And that person is Jesus. You see, although Jesus is not mentioned in the Exodus story, everything about it is symbolic of him and the work he would one day achieve. And so I want us to consider not only Jesus' life, but Jesus' baptism. We all know that Jesus got baptized. He got baptized by immersion in water. That's why we do it the way we do. He did it out of obedience for Jesus. It wasn't that he had to repent from sin. He did it to fulfill all righteousness. That's what the Bible says. But I'm actually thinking of another baptism And that's the baptism that we celebrate, that we acknowledge on Good Friday. The baptism of a crucifixion. Could we consider that when Jesus went on the cross, he did the work of the ultimate baptism. Here's what I mean. He ended the thing that most needed to end. Death. Sin. But yet, it didn't just end there. He, three days later, because he was able to rise to life, he gave an opportunity for the thing that we need most, and that's life eternal with him. And so here we have this picture that when Jesus went on the cross, there was a cleansing There was a work that only he can do, and that was the forgiveness of man's sins. And because he died, you and I, we don't have to die the spiritual death that is caused by sin. But because he lived, you and I, we get to look forward to not a promised land, but a promised reality. And that's a life without sin, without pain, without hurt. We get to live dry, from out of dry waters. And so Romans 6, 3 
through 11 says this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Everyone say new life. We can live a new life in chapter 32. It ends like this. It says, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so if you've not known this, I want you to know that baptism has always represented two things. A death and a raising to life. And we love the life part. That's, that's exciting. But can I just say that part of following Jesus is saying, I am willing for certain things to die. For certain things not to remain the same. And it's not by our own efforts. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And so we end with sharing an experience. This was one that um, happened at camp. For those of us who know, we just went to youth camp a couple of weeks ago. And at this camp, there was, there was many students, many leaders, and one of those leaders was one of ours, Grace Hermits. I have permission to share her story. Um, and so Grace Hermits, she's been not only an evergreener, she was a youth for a long time. She graduated high school. And for those of you who know, when you graduate high school as a, as a youth worker, then, uh, I'm sorry, as a, as, a, as a youth, then you have the opportunity to serve the next generation. And so Grace has said yes to that. And for the last year of her life, she has served on Wednesdays. She's a small group leader. She is the one that all the students believe is the coolest. I mean, she just has that, right? Everyone wants to be part of Grace's group. Meanwhile, I'm sitting alone fiddling my thumbs on Wednesdays. It's my experience. And so Grace, she's excited about serving, but she knows that she, um, that she wants to make a decision. And that decision is that she wants to get baptized. She had been feeling it for a long time, and she knew that on August 14th, that Evergreen would have another day of baptisms. So she looked at her family calendar, and guess what? It was family vacation time. And so Grace knew that she would not be able to be present with us to get baptized. But Grace also knew that at this camp, there was a river. And so then Grace goes to Ilson and I, and she says, hey, I want to get baptized. I know I do. I can't do it on August 14th, but I also know right over there, there's some water. Can I get baptized? So Ilson and I, we're excited, right? This, this is what we're all about. We are about people making that decision. We're for it. But we also respect authority, and we're not running camp. And so we say, you know what, Grace? If we can do it, we're going to do it. we got to check with camp leadership. So we go, ask camp leadership, hey, here's the situation. We have an adult on our team who has not been baptized. They're not available in our next baptism Sunday. Can they get baptized here? And camp leadership then says this. They say, hey, here's our policy. We ask the youth pastor to check in with the senior pastor, and if that's okay, then it can work out. 
fastest decision in Christian history, right? <laughs> right? I just checked in. We're good. And so here is the moment that we want to share with you of grace experiencing this baptism. Something ending, something coming to life. So let's watch. This awesome decision, the next step that Grace is taking. She has said yes to Jesus. She's been serving Jesus. She's been doing life with you guys. And today, she's making the decision to get baptized. What that means is she's making these public declarations. She's saying it in front of everyone. I am a follower of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to baptize her. So we're going to baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when she comes out of the water, it is a big party. It is a celebration. So we're invited to cheer her on and celebrate her. Is that cool? Yeah. band to come up. We're going to be ending with a song. As you can see, uh, she just learned to walk with Jesus, right? She's just learned to walk with Jesus. It's all good. That's why we're the church. We're there, we're there to help her. I share this moment because it's, it's, it's what we're celebrating today. But I also want to share this moment because it took place in front of another moment. You see, um, soon after that, uh, we had a splash party, right? We just, it was a bunch of youth. Of course, we're going to splash each other in the river. And it was a celebratory time. It was such a special moment. But in this moment, there was this young girl who I did not recognize, and she's almost like fighting through the waves. She's like coming, and she's saying something, and I can't hear her because it's really, really loud, and there's lots and lots of water. But I see that she's fighting, and as she gets close enough, what I, what I determine that she's asking is she's saying, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. Can I get baptized? And I realized in that moment, because I looked around, and I didn't see any youth pastors. I realized in that moment, because of policy, that I was going to have to say no. I couldn't say yes in that moment. And what I realized, that this decision that people make, that when they want to get baptized, it's such a special moment. And it can happen 
really at any moment. And I never want to be in a position where I have to say no to someone getting baptized. And so I realize that right now in this room, there might be someone who wants to get baptized. And if you have not gotten baptized, I want you to know that we are ready to baptize you. I want, to, I want everyone to stand. This is a serious invitation. If you have never, if you've said yes to Jesus and you have never been baptized by water, I want to ask you this question, why not right now? There is water right there. If you've made, if you are sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and that you trust him with your, with your entire life, then we are a church that is ready. We are ready to baptize you. All you have to do is make your way down and follow my friends, Lisa and Dave. They'll take you to the back. They'll walk you through. We'll take care of it in this next song. Don't worry about how you're gonna get home and whether you're gonna wet the car. Trust me, it's a sunny day. So as we're singing the song, the invitation is open. For anyone who wants to get baptized, I would be glad to get in the water again, amen? Let's, let's pray, friends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that in our silliness you work. We thank you that you are always working and calling new children to you. And so we pray right now, Father, there's anyone in the room whose faith decision is, is in this moment, they would have the courage to walk down the aisle that they would get baptized. We would love to celebrate that. And for the rest of us, Lord, who have been walking with you, may we know what things need to end, what things need to end, what things we need to surrender so that fresh things, good things, awesome things would, would just fruit in this season. We worship you right now, Father. We thank you. You are the lover of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.